Welcome to The Drummer's Pathway, the podcast about music, life, and the creative process. I'm Michael Scott, and this is The Drummer's Pathway Podcast. Throughout our lives, we often look at the success of others and find ourselves inspired and longing to be able to follow in their footsteps. As we begin to take those first steps, we can often become overwhelmed as we encounter obstacles that make us feel like our dreams are beyond our reach. Along the way, we encounter people whose passion for success is so focused and committed that they're able to embrace the obstacles and find their way to living the life that we often dream about. Although this can sometimes be intimidating, there are some people whose commitment to achieving their goals is so infectious that they inspire and empower us to take a chance and truly see what we are capable of. On this episode, my guest is award-winning drummer Rich Redman. Rich is a top-call drummer based in Nashville and Los Angeles. Known for his rock-solid drumming, He is the sound behind many of today's top artists, including country superstar Jason Aldean, with whom he has worked with for over 20 years. As an international motivational speaker, Rich brings his Crash Course for Success seminar to corporate events, high schools, and colleges everywhere. He was named Country Drummer of the Year in Modern Drummer Magazine in 2015, 2016, 2017, and 2018. Rich is also an active music producer, songwriter, actor, podcast host, and educator. His latest book, Making It in Country Music, is a must-read for anyone interested in pursuing a career in this industry. In our interview, we talk about how it's essential to stay focused on pursuing your dream and never quit, despite the obstacles that you will encounter. We also discuss the value of being open to feedback in order to keep building your skills, and why the most important thing in pursuing a career in the arts is to build genuine relationships while remaining humble and true to yourself. Let's get started. So, Rich, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on the show today. Oh, my God. The pleasure is mine. Thanks so much for having me. Not only are you renowned for your skill set and your high level of professionalism, but your positive attitude is both infectious and motivational and you have an incredible drive to inspire and motivate others where does your passion for music come from and where does your commitment to success lead you wow well thank you so much um man um you know i think success and chasing success is you know this it seems like internally you have that sometimes it's like a gift from your folks i think it maybe was a gift from my parents because my parents are still married. It's one of those, you know, rare couples that have been married over 55 years. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh my God, how do you do that? Um, apparently it's communication, 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 and, you know, jib, jab, be able to give and take. Um, but they just, uh, you know, I'm a black sheep. I'm, there's no other musicians in my family. So somehow I was just called to this. I think my parents recognized that. They supported um, my dreams, which were to just chase this thing. I was fortunate in the fact that I knew I wanted to do this at a young age. I'm sitting here looking, we're staring at each other on the zoom video and I see there's a police poster on your wall. And, you know, Stuart Copeland was a, one of my first drum heroes along with Carmine Apice and Kenny Aronoff and Greg Bissonette and, you know, Gene Krupa and Alex Van Halen. 
and yeah, we just, I just knew I wanted to do this thing. And luckily my parents gave me those, that the early years of support, you know, getting lessons for me, sending me to college, driving me to nightclubs, you know, to get me in so I could play. So I'll, I'll never forget that. But, um, yeah, I'm just a highly motivated person. I'm a self-starter. I've always believed in investing in myself, whether it be taking lessons, surrounding yourself with like birds of a feather, very like-minded people, people that have similar goals and paths and, um, and just showing up every day, you know, just trying to get better at what you do every day. And I'm in this interesting season in my life now where I want to keep doing this, you know, um, I'm in my truly my midlife or past my midlife because my dad says, how many hundred year olds do you know, Rich? You know, he goes, you're in the back half, Matt. You're in the back third, which is an interesting, you know, thing to think about every day above dirt is a gift, you know? And so, uh, you know, my thing now is, is, you know, nutrition, supplementation, flexibility, strength training, cardiovascular health. I've always worked out. Um, but I just, I'm in this, I'm in this kick now where I am hydrating, stretching, supplementing, working on functional strength, working my heart every day, eating right, doing all the right things all at the same time. And the results have just been amazing. I'm achieving a results, um, better results than I have ever in my life. Cause I'm using everything all at once synergistically. And sometimes, you know, once you get your 10,000 hours and I probably have 20,000, 30,000, 40,000 hours in the trenches, um, sometimes it's not about the paradiddle on the, you know, cause I have utter confidence in my ability to be able to deliver a paradiddle in time at any time of day. So sometimes the more important things at certain seasons of our life are to keep us in the game. And I know that these things that I'm doing, um, uh, are going to keep me in the game until my, hopefully if I'm here, my seventies and eighties, you know, I remember at a lesson once um, with one of my teachers, he had asked me what it is that I wanted to learn. And he, at the time he had, he's, he was renowned for putting out some books that had some really complicated aspects to them. And I had told them that I wanted to learn that stuff. And he looked at me and he goes, why do you want to know that? And I said to him, because my perspective in terms of education was the more you learn and the further you push yourself, the stronger your fundamental skills are. Sure. So, so if I learn how to push my time and I learn how to think in an expanded fashion, my groove when I have to play simple two and four aspects is going to be that much more confident. And he looked at me and he said, that's a fantastic reason to learn this stuff. I will show you these things. He said, cause too many times people want to learn things that are complex just for the sake of being a complex musician. And there sure. is some validity to that. But at the same time, too, we really have to look at the work situations that we have and we think, what are the skills that we need? Most people don't get called to recording sessions to do drum solos. Most people get called to recording sessions to play simple grooves, to get them right in the one or two takes and to connect and inspire the musicians that we're working with. And one of the things that I really got from some of the teachings in your books is it's not about just investing your time and building your skills. Yes, that's a big aspect of them. But too many times people forget about one of the skills that you need to build is the relationships and the communications and the way to interact with people. And a lot of times people forget that aspect 
of education. And they often wonder why they're not getting calls for certain jobs or why some of the things that are their dreams are kind of out of their reach. One of the things that I found particularly inspiring about you is that you put yourself out there everywhere in every situation. And it wasn't always about you. It was often about you being the best person and the best musician in all of those situations to make the people that are hiring you happy and want to hire you again. So one of the things that I found really inspiring is you wrote a book called Crash Course for Success, which is also part of your motivational talk that you've done for many corporations and different organizations. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about what does the Crash Course for Success strategy and concept mean to you? Sure. Well, man, thank you so much. Because there are a lot of people out there that can that have extreme skill set. You know, they work on their skill set. And that's kind of what um, I think our global education system, I'm sure there's some, you know, there's some outliers um, out there. But I think, you know, for the most part, higher education, all for, all levels of education focuses on skill sets, the, the nitty gritty of how to hold the sticks, how to play the, how to perform a, a given task. But so much in life is that is the expectation for you to be incredible at that. The other stuff, the 98% is like showing up with a smile and a firm handshake. And, you know, if you're on time, you're late, you got to be early. You're the first one there. You're the last one to leave. You have a firm handshake. You look people in the eyes you realize that the the most incredible sound to a person ever in their lifetime is the sound of their name. They let music to their ears and being able to read a room and work as part of a team. These are all things that, you know, a lot of uh, institutions don't teach, but me as an educator, having a teacher's heart, I like to get into the nitty gritty, but at the same time, I always try to remind the kids, hey, look, it, you've got to be a good person. You've got to be a well-rounded person. you got to be very likable. Um, so this crash concept kind of just came as a result of being in the trenches. You know, I had my master's degree. I started to get a little bit of notoriety, starting to build Jason Aldean's brand. 23 years ago, and I just started doing drum clinics at mom and pop drum shops and colleges and 5A high schools and, you know, your guitar centers and your Long and McQuaid's and all the, and I was like, you know, how can I make this a little bit different? You know, of course there's a drum solo. Um, you gotta have a little, a short drum solo, but then you talk about like really what a drummer does every day, which is play songs. And then we, and then, I, but I just want to leave the kids also with that. I, these con these concepts of how to live a successful life. So crashes an acronym stands for commitment relationships attitude, skill, and hunger. Crash. Easy to remember. You can use any of these attributes singularly and you'll, you'll be a better version of yourself. But if you use them all synergistically together, then you'll be an unstoppable human because you want to be able to commit, commit to your craft, put those 10,000 hours in, um, commit to the journey, uh, realize that relationships are everything in life. You know, you could be the greatest drummer in the world, but until someone believes in you and knows you and likes you and trusts you, they're not going to hire you. And this whole world works on repeat businesses. So you can't know um, enough people and they have to champion you and, and vice versa. And attitude, attitude is truly is 99% of life. Enthusiasm is contagious. I've seen it time and time again. People with positive attitudes, they live longer, they have healthier lives, they have more friends, they make more money. So I, I just 
just try to get up on that side of the bed every day. And then skills, you know, we want to identify the skills we need to be successful in our chosen field. So for a drummer, that's learning technique and tone and touch and time, and then learning the rudiments and counting and being able to transcribe and then getting into styles. When I do a clinic, um, I play a basic rock beat. At that same tempo, you can go into a Mozambique and a Partido Alto and a Bossa Nova and a Samba and a Cumbia, and you could go into a Soca and a, um, you know, a Songo and a second line beat and a polka beat and the Motown groove, double bass, brushes, a smooth jazz beat. So I'll do a lot of that at my my clinics to say, like, this is a skill set that you're going to have to have time and time again. And the more styles you can play, the more opportunities will cross your paths. The more opportunities cross your path, the more opportunities you will have to be successful to have one of those opportunities explode, like a Jason Aldean situation or an Elton John situation or a, um, a, a, a Billy Joel situation or a John Mellencamp situation. Uh, and then the last part is that hunger having that hunger that burns in your belly to be successful and within that i know that passion is your engine and hard work is the fuel so you put those all together and that's crash and it's just a kind of like a mantra i use um to to kind of just encapsulate my my teaching philosophy and it's also a springboard for doing my motivational speaking um for corporate america and people are like what is that all about i'm like well just picture um tony robbins the world-renowned motivational speaker having lunch with Animal from the Muppets along with, I used to say Jerry Lewis, the comedian, but now everyone is is forgetting who Jerry Lewis is. So there's a younger generation of kids. So I say Sebastian Maniscalco. He's like the number one comedian in the world right now. And he's very, has a lot of physical comedy. He makes a lot of crazy faces. He sweats a lot. He's Italian. So I say Sebastian Maniscalco having lunch with Tony Robbins along with um, Animal from the Muppets. I love that. One of the things that I also liked about the layout of the book is that the first section of the book kind of goes through those acronyms and each chapter, you know, the, you know, covers um, the commitment and the relationships and, yeah. and, and the different sure. elements of those ones. And then when you get into the second half of the book, it tells your story and you kind of go back kind of to the beginning, you actually started playing drums when you were six with the encouragement of your father, which is often not a common element that most families find. Most families are encourage you to start music. They just don't want you to be a drummer, but your, your father, <laughs> but your father actually encouraged you to play the drums, which you took to right away. And you actually started formal lessons at age of six. You then took a break for about four to five years, partly because you're a six-year-old and you have other interests as well. But I believe it was when you got back into a school situation that you actually took it up again. And at that point, that's when you were back, you were back with a vengeance. Yeah. Well, you, man, you do such great research. And, you know, this story is floating around out there, the origin story. And I got to say that, you know, you being part of this new media thing, congratulations, you know, you're already... 10, 20, 15 episodes in, which is, you know, and now you got the bug, but you know, how many different ways can you tell the same story? You know what I mean? So, but, but yeah, my origin story was like, I was a high energy, restless kid. And my dad was like, you should do this. And so I went to go do it. And luckily I had this aptitude for it. My first teacher was a guy named Jack Berge. He was a rock drummer. You know, Frampton comes alive was on the radio. Classic rock was all the rage. It wasn't classic rock at the time. It was just 
rock. rock. And now it's, <laughs> then it became classic rock. And it's so funny. I was just in my car the other day and I was listening to the oldies station. Now, oldies used to be, you know, hey, hey, Mr. Postman, or you better shop around, or it's my party and I'll cry if I want to. Now, oldies are like Fog Hat and Led Zeppelin. Yes. Which is like really, really creepy and crazy. But yeah, I took formal lessons and it was, you know, this is a five stroke roll. And I was like, oh my God, this is, you know, not the most fun thing in the world. Like I said, I was too young, but man, that, that teacher got those sticks in my hands, taught me about posture, taught me about getting a good sound, taught me the rudiments. I'm playing a Joel Rothman book. I'm learning my duka ding ka tika tika ding kas, you know, which is the same beat that you're going to hear every Saturday morning at Guitar Center. It's also the same beat that bought me multiple cars, put a roof over my head, allows me to buy the $80 Chuck Taylors instead of the $40 Chuck Taylors. That's the beat that I make a living with, and it doesn't bother me one bit. You know, some drummers are fast twitch drummers. You know, they like to be speed metal drummers, or they, they like to be fusion guys. They want to blow chops. I mean, I love just sinking into a gigantic fat groove and making a singer-songwriter's vision for the storytelling process come to life. And that's literally how I, I um, you know, I pay my bills. I just, I didn't even see that as a path. I was, I was going to go down the rock, metal, double bass, fusion, jazz thing, and I moved to Nashville. And Nashville taught me how to play a song, how to stay out of the way, how to pick your moments. Um, and little did I know that that was really the drummer I was destined to be all along. Now, when people see me do that, if they see me do that or a Sean Pelton or some of these other hard hitting drummers, um, you're not going to, you don't necessarily see all those time in the trenches, you know, the Japanese marimba studying jazz vibraphone and the, the six timpani piece and the pre prepared percussion piece and learning, you know, um, Dixieland jazz rags on the xylophone and all the crazy stuff you study with Dom and I, it's in there, but it doesn't, the thing is, is that you have to have the discipline to not use it, but it's there if you want to grab it, if you need to grab it, if you have to play another style or if someone asks you to be creative and think outside of the box or you do have to read an odd time piece or somebody wants for you to solo in seven, that stuff is there. You can grab it. I remember one of the most profound lessons that I ever had was probably going back now about 15 years ago. I had a one-off lesson with Kenny Aronoff yeah. when, when he was uh, in Toronto. He was touring with John Fogarty at the time, and he came yeah. into one of the local drum stores for, for a half day to do some lessons. And I remember sitting in a room and, with, with Kenny, who was one of my heroes. So sure. that was... That was inspiring and intimidating at the same time but he much like you is kind of like a, a a powerhouse of like energy and enthusiasm and i remember we had two different drum kits set up and when you're in a room with kenny aronoff you start to realize how loud kenny aronoff really is as a player but also how impeccable his technique is and how it's not about just about hitting the drums really hard it's about pulling that sound out and and really sure. having control over the instrument and i remember because i have a classical background and so does kenny we we got into a big conversation about that and he said one of the advantages about that is that i actually have 
a little bit more developed hand technique than someone who's just kind of starting out, as you said. So that's something that's a real advantage. And I remember sitting down to play and I just kind of, you know, played a, you know, like a fairly basic beat. And he said, that sounds pretty solid. Um, what, what are you doing when you play your bass drum? And I said, in all honesty, I'm just kind of playing. I'm not thinking about that. He said, that's the problem. You're playing too much random bass drum parts. Yes. And, and it's all about, you know, if you need to play more bass drum, that's fine, but be, but you need to have the intention to do that. There needs to be a reason for it. And up until that point, everyone's kind of really hand focused, unless you want to work on like double bass and, and, or learn a whole bunch of John Bonham uh, licks and stuff. You generally are very hand top heavy focused and you don't really pay as much attention to what the feet are doing. And it was really just a matter of, I'd never thought about it before, but I remember driving home afterwards, really just thinking about that going, he's totally right. And it completely changed my thinking. So now when I'm playing, particularly if I'm doing a recording session and stuff, I'm really picky and meticulous about the placement of your bass drum. Yeah. Recording and listening back to yourself is one of the most humbling experiences and one of the greatest learning experiences. And that's when you find that you hit too many crash cymbals. You're not opening your hi-hat in a consistent place all the time you're opening it out of habit and not out of intention and i think that's a really valuable skill for everyone to learn to sit down record yourself and to listen back to it and don't be negative about it you have to look at it as a way for you to overcome the challenges that you have and to kick you to that next level too many times people hear something they don't like and they immediately want to run away from the situation and that's part of being young in your journey and i don't mean a kid i just mean you know you could be 60 years old and starting out you're young in your journey and you have yeah. to go through these different elements but as you mature through this you start to change your listening and you start to realize the things that are really important one of my favorite things to play is ballads because i just i love the space between the notes getting the perfect rim click consistently all the time is one of those magical things and i've often said to students that's your homework for the week go home and practice playing rim clicks and get them all the same sound and if you if the if you hit one and the second one doesn't sound the same then you need to start all over again and that's going to yeah. be more of a challenge than trying to play these complex exercises that I, I give you. And as a teacher, you always go through those things at first. You, you give them all of the, the complex exercises that you learn to help them build their skill set. But over time, particularly as a teacher, I'm finding now it's really about molding the drummer that they are and really helping find their place in the music that they're trying to play. I had a student once, he came in and when he had signed up for lessons, one of the conditions that his mom had said to the, the person that owned the, the music school was that the last place he was, all they did was they, they had my, my son working out of the stupid blue book syncopation, which is, which oh, is, which, nice, which is yeah. one of the Bibles of drum technique. And he said, you're, so they said, you're not going to have a teacher. This is going to make him work out of the stupid blue book. Cause he hates it. And when it came in and I said to him, I know you own the book syncopation and I know you had a bad experience with it, but we are definitely going to use the book syncopation because there's nothing wrong with the book. It's all about how to use the book to get the result that you want. And I remember sure. one point he came in and he wanted to learn Enter Sandman by Metallica. 
So he's pounding away on the drums and all this stuff. And, and he, and I said, well, it sounds pretty good, but what's, what's the problem that you're having? He said, well, all of the crashes and the hits that are not on the downbeat, they're, they're hard to play. And I don't know how to fix that. I said, okay, take out your stupid blue book. What I want you to do is that I want you to take this page and I want you to hit your drums, hit the toms really, really hard. And whenever there's a little accent note on the page, I want you to hit your snare drum and I want you to hit to hit your cymbal at the same time. So then just started pounding it. And then by the time we got about three or four minutes into this, he was now comfortable playing offbeat shots. But it was all about, you have to take an exercise and you have to put it in the context of a challenge that the student wants to overcome. And then it became fun for him because before it was very rigid, you have to work out of this and he didn't know why. Now it was, a, here's a problem we need to address and here's a solution that we can come up with as well. Nice. Well, they're lucky to have you as a teacher because you can you can see, you know, the practical applications of these things. And it's great because you're a, you're a student and a teacher. And the best teachers are the ones that get out there and they walk the walk. You know what I mean? I want to I'm never never ever going to train with a fitness coach that is not ripped and jacked and who's like got a perfect diet 6 days a week. <laughs> not going to do it. I'm never, ever going to pay a fat trainer ever. And, and I'm never going to pay a drummer for lessons that is not out there gigging and recording. He doesn't have a discography. So there's so much to unpack there. Yes. Um, you know, I, I have been through every drum book on the planet. That was part of the beauty of being in college for seven years at Texas tech university and the university of North Texas. I got to go through all these books and then you start writing books and then you start creating your own curriculum at, as a result of the music and the experiences that you're having, the music that you're playing in the real world. And so I just came up with, you know, um, I use the syncopation book, and I do a thing called my drum tensive where people fly in from all over the world. They come in, they spend seven hours with me, three hours in the morning. We have a nice lunch, three hours in the afternoon. And a lot of these guys are, are circuit band players. They're road players. They're self-taught players. They're family band players. And they want to fill in the missing gaps in their playing, which is some of them have no technique. Some of them have no, have technique, but they have no rudiments. Other guys and have zero reading. So by the end of the day, I get him to page 38 of the syncopation book. Everyone join in. And they can sing it. They can count it. They can scat it. They have rules in place for sticking. And so we, so by the end of the day, they're just such a more, a powerful musician. That's why I also came up with the idea. I try to come up with things that are easy to remember, like the money beats. Those are five beats. You go boosh, Baj booj ba booj ba boo booj ba booj baj boo boo ba boo booj baj booj booj baj dee 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 that four on the floor. Now, if you play those five things at one tempo and one dynamic level, uh, what's the chances you're going to be successful in the music business? Probably not. And even if you can play them at all dynamic levels and with a straight subdivision, a shuffle subdivision, all tempos with a metronome, without a metronome, make it feel great. Still not a guarantee. You have, but you have kicked the door open to the most five basic building blocks of beats that you're going to be playing that soccer moms are going to love. And you got to remember that your audience is soccer moms. They are in the minivan. They are drumming on the stereo, drumming on the, on the, on the, the, the wheel, you know, using their turn signal as a click track. 
you know, and, and they're drumming. This is your audience, you know? And so, so they don't care about drum solos. They, they care about creating a danceable vibe of a feel and a groove that is in time that makes people want to move that brings the song to life. And that's an art form. So we address that. We address the consistency of rim shots. I would take a marching snare drum into my garage every Saturday, eight hours a day, whack, 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 just hitting that rim shot on my left hand. I will almost never miss a rim shot. Cross stick. I love Stuart Copeland. So I would play with all the, the police records. And then when I got to Nashville and I just had to play, um, um, um. Boom. I could nail that beat four every time because I was, I worked on, I worked on that, that police stuff. So I do have a system in place that I can kind of like Kenny, because I do the same thing when I'm in town, I'll be like, Hey, I'm going to go up to the local drum shop and knock out five hours of lessons before my sound check. Boom. Then I go do my sound check and I break bread with my band and I warm up and I go and I do the show and I'll do the same thing the next day. And these kids come in and I'm like, I listen to them. I say, play your favorite song, sing the beat to your favorite song, sing the chorus in your head, play the beat for me. And they're playing this thing. There's too many crashes. The hi-hats are in weird places. They're overplaying the bass drum, putting fills in weird places. At the very minimum, they're putting in a fill every four measures. And I'm like, look it. I want you to strip this down to the most basic thing. Don't open the hi-hat. Don't change the bass drum pedal, the, the bass drum pattern. Don't play any little skiddly-diddly grace notes on the snare drum. No crashes, no fills, nothing. Play that for three and a half minutes. That's your base. That's your cake. You can make that feel great. You can, you're hitting all the dynamics. If you're in the studio and there's microphones on your drums, they're, you're hitting that velocity, that threshold every time on the bass drum. Like green, 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 not green, yellow, red, green. It's the same every time. So the consistency, I was like, okay, now anything we do, anytime we open the hi hat, anytime we change the kick drum pattern, anytime we do a little Motown friendly shakadoom, shazadoom, shakadoom, anytime we play a crash, it's going to mean so much more because you have created the healing feeling that that music is so i have become a master at playing simple and i love it you know what i mean there's this there's this loop going around nashville right now it's like the songwriters write with loops all the time and it's just this do catch do do so one and a two and a and four and everyone file shares this. I swear I am playing on so many songs where they, the demo comes in from the songwriter and they have this song and everybody gets demoitis. You know, they want to, they get used to that thing and you're like, okay, there's a million other grooves that could probably work in this thing. But you know, at the same time, not really. They chose this groove. They, they constructed this whole song around it. So now all I have to do is use that beat as my money beat. I need to play it in time. I made to, I need to make it feel good. I need to make it groove. And then around that, add the right fills with the right colors on the drums. Where are the crashes? Where's the, the, the edge of the ride, the tip of the stick on the ride, the bell? Am I going to ride the floor, Tom? Are there tea towels on my drums? Do I have large symbols, small, smaller symbols? Uh, dark symbols, bright symbols. Am I using the little 14-inch hi-hats? Am I using the 16, 17-inch hi-hats? Is it a metal snare drum with rim shots, or is it going to be gaff tape, or I'm going to play it in the middle for that eagle sound? You're making a lot of decisions, but 
the beat that that songwriter chose is like, I'm not going to fight it. I'm going to play this thing and I'm going to redmanize it. Redmanize it means I'm going to give them 99% of what is on that demo, but I'm going to add 1% minimum of my humanity and my personality to leave my Mona Lisa stamp on that thing because hopefully they hired me because they want me and not a drummer that's available at 10 a.m. on Monday morning. Now, 20 years ago, I was the drummer that was available at 10 a.m. on Monday morning. But hopefully you keep creating a body of work and you keep your your skill set high and you keep growing and you keep creating and word starts to spread and then people start to ask for you by name. So I hope that wasn't a tangent. But the idea is, is that, yes, if I am evaluating someone's skill and I, and I have 30 minutes or I have three years, we're going to start with these are the things that are not good. These are the things that need a lot of work. And these are the things that you're going to be doing with a band. You know what I mean? When you're with a band and you're wearing that tuxedo, you know, for that tuxedo gig or you're on stage and you got your vest and your wallet chain, you know, de depending on whatever that situation is, you want to knock that thing out of the ballpark and give people what they want. And you don't want any of those funny looks like, what was that? You want to stay out of the way, shape the song, stay in time, all that stuff. So we address all that stuff. You know, hopefully they get a, a an ROI from the money they spend on a lesson. Like when you study with Dom, you're like, oh, my God, worth every penny. Absolutely. I used to joke that I collect drum teachers like baseball cards because I've studied with 17 different people. And a lot of people That's and a lot of people think, well, isn't that redundant? Like you're learning the same thing. I said every single person I studied with is an expert in something that I'm not. And sometimes people think if you study with different people, there's going to be conflicts in terms of uh, philosophies and perspectives. And there generally isn't. There might be different perspectives, but what it does is it just opens you up and it challenges you. And, you know, and I've studied with people that are not known and I've studied with people who are legends and yeah. there's just something empowering about being able to connect with people who are masters of their craft, who value you enough to give you an hour of their time. Yes, you're paying for the experience, but I, I think one of the best investments I ever had for myself was the money that I spent to connect with people to make myself better. I have a perspective that you value things more that you pay for than you acquire. People, you know, will go online, they'll send you, you know, a track and say, I got this new album, let me send you a digital copy of it. I'm like, no, just tell me what the album is. I want to go buy it. And if I can't find it in the store, I will go to the artist's website and I will send them an email directly and I will write them a physical check, which I've done before, and send it off to them. And they will walk to the mailbox and put it in the mail. Well, that's amazing because you respect people's time and talent because you yourself are a creative soul, you know, and, you know, we're just getting to know each other. And I don't know, like, all the ways you spend your time, but the fact that you res you respect artistry and creativity enough to do that, you know, on the flip side, uh, the, my Achilles heel is, is that I've drank the Kool-Aid with the kids and I don't have a CD player anymore. So when I play on someone's CD and they send me a side signed copy of the cd i'm like i would love to enjoy this but i don't have a cd player can you please send me the spotify link or whatever 
hilarious. I have totally drank the Kool-Aid. It's like a book. Like I said, I, I recently like I bought your books and you can you can get the ebooks. I, I'm not a fan of ebooks. I'm a fan of physical books because I, I find when I take the book, I want to sit in a chair. Me too, I want to shut off the world and I want to absorb the information in that. And that to me is is um, how I reflect and, and build my own skill set. I, I like to read motivational books and stuff in the morning. This week, it happened to be your rereading your crash book. Oh, man. But that's one of the things that I get inspiration from. And I think too many times people spend all of their time just trying to focus on trying to build their skill and they forget to build their mindset because your mindset is how you actually can cope with all of the challenges that get thrown at you. One of the things that I've struggled with in the past is what am I supposed to do? What's my direction? And, and what I found by stepping away and really getting back into focusing on education is that it grew my passion for drumming. It grew my desire to open up more opportunities and it opened up more opportunities. Yes, I'm not playing the bar circuit as much as I used to, but I'm doing more recording than I ever did before because I realized one of the things that I wanted to do is I wanted to be a session drummer. With more and more people now doing work at home, I've got a couple of people that do a lot of stuff that because I've now taken the time to set up a facility here and learn the basic fundamental skills of how to record, I now get emails going, hey, I need to get this done in a couple of days. Can you record this at home? And in half an hour, I can record a track, send it off to, to a friend or a client and get that done. And it's making me a better musician. And now I'm starting to make more money doing that sort of thing. I'm getting more satisfaction now out of pursuing different things. I've gotten into playing in pit bands for musicals, which is something nice. that I've really wanted to do, but I hadn't really done in about 30 years. But now I've gotten into a, a circuit where I'm getting opportunities to do that sort of thing. And because my background is in education and playing in orchestras, I love that challenge. And so for me, the excitement of new opportunities is just feeding my passion and just making this even much more worthwhile. That's awesome, man. Congratulations, man. It's, yeah, mindset is everything. You know, I've been trying to get up every day um, and, uh, you know, just doing some meditation, journaling, reading a self-help book. You know, I mean, I, I was a big fan of science fiction, science fantasy, you know, The Lord of the Rings, all of the Philip K. Dick, Robert Heinlein. I love science fiction, all that kind of stuff. But, you know, the best as you as you get older, the best use of your time is to read nonfiction, to read ways to improve yourself um, physically, mentally, spiritually, fiscally, your skill set, how to market yourself, how to uh, how to work with new media, how to master social media, um, promote your business, grow your business. All those things, it's that's a better way to spend your time as an adult. Um, even though I am dying to maybe get back into the world of like dragons and like what if, um, even though I feel like all my science fiction books from my youth are actually coming to life now with AI and everything. It's like beyond scary. Um, no, but man, it's a, you know, it's, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm really excited for you. My, my thing is I think I'm going to get back into vinyl. I probably have a couple hundred pieces of vinyl and you know, I'm an audio technica artist and I have their, their turntable. And so I'm probably going to get back into the vinyl thing because that really sums up 
you know, sleuthing and hunting and, you know, every town has like a little barely staying alive vinyl store and you stop by and you talk to the owner and, and, you know, you pick up some things and it's kind of, it's kind of fun. I think I'm going to kind of do that. And the barely staying alive vinyl store, when you go in there, you build that connection, you talk to the owner, you buy that new vinyl and that may be the only money they make all yeah. day. And you build that connection. And, and I think that stuff is important. One of the biggest motivators for me over the last few years was just seeing how incredible the drumming community is. And, you know, it's like you and I are chatting today. We've never met each other before, but just through social media and other connections, I reached out to you. You're open to this. And we're just part of this community that is incredible. And I think that's one of the things that I find just really inspiring is just how supportive and passionate drummers are about supporting each other. It's very rare that you kind of come across drummers these days that don't really want to help. It's a brotherhood or a sisterhood where we really just want to connect and share those experiences. And often not the technical aspects that I want to get out of the lessons. It's the life experiences that I want to get. And it's not always the successes that I want to talk about. It's the challenges and how they overcame challenges. Because sometimes, particularly with social media generally being a highlight reel for people, is it can be really tough on your mindset when you're bombarded with success and everything is perfect. What people forget is that that's not reality. Those are elements of people's journeys, but what you don't see is all the other challenges that came up from that. And what I want to know is I want to know what things did not go well and how did you react to that and how did you overcome that and a lot of people when things don't go well they retreat and they retract themselves and they don't revisit it again which is human nature but i think the people who are ultimately the most successful are the people that look at those as learning opportunities and not roadblocks and they reach into themselves and they say okay what do i need to change about myself to overcome this because it's not always a criticism about you personally it's an honest analysis of a skill set that you may not have gained yet at that point and so if you embrace that feedback and you add them to your list as here's one more ladder that i can uh, you know work on and if i can work on this step it'll get me to the next step and then at the next step i'm going to run into other challenges but i'm going to figure out how to do that and i'm going to go to the next step and this is not a sprint this is as you've said many times this is a marathon overnight successes people don't usually see the 20 years of hard work and failures that people have put into this and i think it's really important that we share that because that's we, we need to know that all of our heroes and all of our colleagues are going through similar types of challenges and i think that's one of the things that helps us overcome that Sure. In your crash book, one of the things that you do talk about as well is that when you play a show, you ask the people that hired you, what did you like? What didn't you like? And what can I do better? And you use that as a way to improve and do better the next time. When I do a session, 
I want to do the best job that I can, and I want each session to be a little bit better yeah. than the one I did next. And as long as I see each session and each experience being better than the last one, I'm happy if I see that progress. Yeah. So along that lines, what are some of the roadblocks or challenges that you've had to face and what did you do to overcome them? Yeah. Well, you know, in college, you know, that's a, that's a, that's a great entry into what life is going to be like, because you have to do things you don't want to do. You have to jump through hoops. You know, I mean, did I want to do I want to go to an American history class or an algebra class? No, but those are flaming hoops that you have to jump through because you decided to go to college and that, you know, I'm learning things and that I have the ability to practice for eight, for six, seven, eight hours a day. But the cost of entry is I have to go do these stupid classes, right? And life is like that too. You know, not everything or not everything is things you want to do. It's not all a bed of roses. You know, if you want to do something in the creative arts, there's going to be speed bumps. There's going to be roadblocks. There's going to be dorms that are slammed in your face. People will constantly be saying no. You have to fall in love with the idea of people telling you no. You have to pick yourself up, dust yourself off, keep moving forward. And as long as you stay in the game, you can't quit. That's the main thing is, is if you want to do something that's has important every place that's worth being in life, there are no shortcuts. So you just have to stay in the game. And if you quit, you're out and someone is going to take that position. So you can't put these time constraints. A lot of people will be like, look at, um, you know, hey, I got a family and, um, you know, my wife told me that I can do a year in Nashville. And if it doesn't start to happen, then I have to go back to my corporate job. Well, that kind of makes sense in the sense that, you know, you procreated and you have a family to feed and there's a responsibility factor, but you know, say you're starting your journey early and you're keeping yourself footloose and fancy free. And you're focusing on going after your, don't put a time limit on it. Cause it could take five minutes. It could take five weeks. It could take five years. It could take 10 years. You know, when I moved to Nashville, I moved with a lot of great gear. I had a great attitude. I had my tens of thousands of hours. I had my master's degree. I had experience. I could read music. I could play styles. I had a tuxedo. I had great trans. I had everything I needed. But Nashville did not care. I had to prove myself. It took two years of saying yes to every little crappy gig and trying to knock these crappy gigs out of the ballpark to where things started to happen. Um, but Nashville, just like Los Angeles, just like New York, just like Toronto, just like Vancouver, Winnipeg, um, Austin, Texas, Miami, um, Seattle, they are these communities and more than your skill set. The skill set is an expectation, but being a likable person, being professional, but more importantly, being a likable person and being able to take direction. These are the things that set you apart. And sometimes people need to see you being a likable person, seeing you being reliable, seeing you be professional five times, 10 times, a hundred times. They have to have their, their story corroborated by other people that they put on a pedestal. So people that kept me way down on the totem pole that wouldn't give me the time of day 20, 25 years ago, I am now their, I am first call for them because they see that if no matter what, if I have jet lag, if I have explosive diarrhea, if I have co, if I have COVID, if I have, it doesn't matter. I am going to bleed excellence for them. And I make it about them and I put all the importance and all of my energy into making them shine and making the band comfortable. People will start to talk about that and it just takes time and you can't quit. 
and you can't be in a hurry. So those first two years in Nashville where I would be like kind of crying in my Cheerios, working day jobs, taking gigs that I didn't want to, why is this not happening for me? I'm just as good as such and such, you know, I just had to go through it. You know, it's just a rite of passage, you know, and so my ball in Nashville didn't really get churning until I was, you know, 29 years old. And was that the end of my dues paying? Absolutely not. The music business is this up and down roller coaster. So, you know, I got a job playing with Pam Tillis and it was great. I had a drum tech. I had a salary. People in the audience knew all the words to her songs. Then after that, I got an opportunity to be an original band. We were we were on CMT. We were on the cover of magazines. We had meet and greets. We had to go do radio visits. It was a great experience. But at the same time, broke i mean broke i mean we're talking like donating plasma broke and then after that you know we got jason a record deal and then that's where all the dues paying started with him you know riding around in a five passenger van taking shifts driving and then working our way up to you know 12 guys on one bus and the bus driver was falling asleep and 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 you know the thing is catching on fire and next thing you know he's got a single and then we had a a trailer and then there's two buses and two trailers and then before you know it there's eight buses and 16 semis and there's fire on stage and i've got all my endorsements and i'm on the cover of modern drummer magazine what how did this happen you know what i mean it just takes time and you have to just do it you have to you have to do it because you love it not because you're thinking about because there's way easier ways to get rich Way easier. Do a startup, you know, do online marketing, um, create a widget, create, <laughs> create the post-it note, you know, you know what I mean? Drumming people love drums, but people don't, people don't necessarily need drums for their existence on paper. Now, yes. now mute a life without music, no music, at a wedding for a first dance, no music at Barry's boot camp on the treadmill, no music at a factory job, you know, with Lucille balls eating the chocolates and she's trying to keep up with the, and there's no, that's a miserable existence, but do people need, they want drums, but you know, I mean, people need chicken like Purdue. They're crushing it. People need gasoline. You know what I mean? Those dead dinosaurs are rocking you know what i mean but you have to do it because you love it and then make sure that you are doing everything within your ability in your chosen field so that's why i tour that's why i record at home that's why i record at music row that's why i record in los angeles that's why I teach in person. That's why I teach online. That's why I create products. That's why I write books. You have to, if you're a drummer, you got to work really hard to put it all together. One of the things that I think is interesting as well is that you've been working with Jason Aldean now, who's a country superstar for two decades. Yeah. And the nature of Nashville is that there is the artist, then there's the studio musicians, and then there's the touring band. And one of the things that's interesting about Jason's setup is that the, the, the studio band is the touring band because you guys are a brotherhood and a collective and you've been through this journey together so you started at the beginning you've gone through all the different failures and now you, collectively you have achieved this high level of success and i think that's a rarity because first of all 
people have different drives. They have different visions in terms of what they want. So what is it that sort of kept you guys together on this journey? Um, yeah, you know, it is just, it truly is a brotherhood. Not everybody is as fortunate as we are in the sense that we found a, 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 a group of people to get together and get along personally and professionally. And it's just really rarefied air to have a group of guys that are together doing the same thing for uh 23 years that is so strange i mean you talk to you know bermuda schwartz with with um al you know we're now that's a weird thing and they've been together i think 20 30 years i believe it's four decades 40 years okay <laughs> and i and my a good friend of mine uh David Usikinen is the drummer from the Hooters. They just celebrated 40 years together. So here I am talking with, you know, him having him on, on my podcast about, yeah, we're just, you know, we've been together about 23, 24 years. And he's like, oh my God, that's just a little bit over half where the Hooters are. You know what I mean? So it doesn't happen like that for everybody. Everyone has a, has a path, but we're just lucky enough to, to champion each other personally and professionally. And, you know, when it comes to being a recording artist, there's so many recording artists that change they change their bands like a pair of pants or, you know, with every season, there's a new band. And how can you create a loving, nurturing, super tight family type unit that brings the musical life to the life when it's changing once a year? That doesn't really work. So with our thing, it just deepens and deepens and deepens. And, you know, Jason gives me tons of freedom. And he has told me and a million other people the reason why Redman has the gig is because, you know, he never mails it in. He plays from the heart. He's the right guy for the job. And, you know, he gives me what I want every night. And it's that consistency, right? So he's the boss. And then making everybody comfortable, you know, no matter what's happening. Like I said, being jet lagged, being hungover, being sick with the flu, being there's so, you know, food poisoning. There's so many things that can go wrong, but the show must go on. And I love Hollywood. I love show business. And so I'm in the right business. All the guys in my band are in the right business. It's just a really magical thing. And there isn't a day that goes by that I don't, you know, count my blessings because basically I trained myself and prepared myself to be like a Greg Bissonette or like a Kenny Aronoff and to, to be working with essentially a different corporation every day, like bringing different types of music to life every day. I prepared myself with that mindset. Um, and I ended up getting a job like a Kenny Aronoff or a Liberty DeVito or a Nigel Olsen or a, you know, a, a, a band type guy, which is, I have no complaints about, you know, and there's a lot of capable musicians in Nashville back in the day in the nineties, when things were so fruitful, it was the velvet rope era of the music business. The reason why there was this a team and there was like five guys on every instrument that played on everything is because the music was so well doing so well that um, these studio musicians were so busy doing three albums a day, sometimes at double or triple scale, they didn't have time to go out on the road. And the road guys were so busy because country and the music business was so happy and healthy and people were putting, there were so many butts and seats. They didn't have time to, to do the, you know, to do the studio thing because sometimes they were only in town on Mondays and Tuesdays. But you know what I told myself? I said on that Monday and Tuesday, I'm going to make records. 
I'm going to play drums in the studio or I'm going to teach or I'm going to write books or I'm going to I'm going to further my skill set and my brand. I'm not going to put myself in the box as a recording musician or put myself in the box as a touring musician or put myself in the box as an educator. I am going to be all three of these things and I'm going to go to where the opportunities are. And that's a great thing to do. And that this is a model that still holds up because in the current music business, which is on its knees, it's not doing well. If two revenue streams go away, I have the other, I have one, you know, and in healthy times, I have three revenue streams. Now that ties us right into your latest book, which just came out called Making It in Country Music and Insiders Look at the Industry. What was the inspiration for you to put this book out? Well, thank you so much for the uh, for for picking up the book. You know, it's a hardback, and the the uh, the publisher is Roman and Littlefield. It's a really you know reputable publisher. They're in London, Dubai, Massachusetts, and so you know people are like, "Hey, man, when's the M- when's the Audible read coming out, or when's the paperback coming?" I'm like, "Man, just enjoy the the hardback. You know, a hardback means the publisher loves you and they believe in it. So it's a coffee table book. But the idea really was like, you know, that was going to be my next book. You know, it really started out as a as a book called Nashville. Now what? It was like you move to Nashville. Now what? Right. And, you know, you get the publishing deal and the publisher says, well, you know, we want to change the name. And, you know, I had a co-author and then then I had another co-author. But, you know, the idea was, hey, man, I've been in Nashville 25 years and I'm not a genius and it's not a right way or the highway or my way or the highway. It's really just like I have lived through this. I have suffered. I have had victories. I'm going to talk about my experiences. And if this can save you five minutes, five years on your journey, then it's a and it's a it's been a time well spent in me writing it, time well spent in you reading it. And it's really not just for drummers. It's for all musicians. It's for songwriters. It's for people that have no musical skill sets, but they're interested in being in the sexiness of the music business. So they go, oh, my God, I could be a social media uh, media manager. I could be I could be a photographer. I could be a day-to-day manager. I could be a road manager. I could be a carpenter. I can be a monitor engineer, a front of house engineer. I could be a drum tech, a guitar tech. I could drive the bus. I could be a chef. All these music, all this, these, this web of life, all these jobs that interconnect and intersect are part of this web of life that they call um, the big machine. That's why Taylor Swift called her old record label the big machine, the big machinery of Nashville that doesn't necessarily exist in an Austin, Texas, or maybe a Miami, Florida, or Seattle, because we have have all the rehearsal facilities. We have more recording studios per capita than anywhere on the planet. It's the songwriting capital of the world. All the bus companies are here. So it's like it's a musical mecca called Music City, and it really is one of the last places to experience and connect yourself with a dying industry. This industry is thriving here. You know, you got hip hop in Los Angeles and the movie scores and the Marvel soundtracks and all that. And then you have whatever is happening in Nashville, modern country pop music, Christian rock. And and if you're in a rock band, you never had to be anywhere to be in a rock band. You could be from gate. You could live in Gainesville, Florida, Des Moines, Iowa. The killers are from Las Vegas, Nevada, that particular kind of music rock, which is, and I'm a rock drummer, but rock rock is, is in a real slump. The new rock is country. 
and it mm-hmm. just worked out perfectly because a lot of you know I wanted to play the Hollywood Bowl and Madison Square Garden when I was 21 years old. I didn't. I did it when I was 41 years old. So a lot of time in the trenches, a lot of marinating. I marinated in in self improvement, and when Jason started to pop, I was able to unleash my inner rock drummer, and now this style of music that we help change the language of and push the boundaries of has allowed a whole other generation of people to come out like your Florida Georgia Lions and all that all this country rock stuff hardy it's like we were I would not gonna say we we're first on the scene because you had Southern Rock you had Leonard Skinner and all those guys but then they passed the baton and we took that thing and we just tried to do that thing at the highest level so you never know when you're going to have your success and what season of your life. Some guys get signed to a record deal at 18. They become drug addled and the record goes south and the band falls apart at 22. I got my master's at 25, moved to Nashville when I was 27, got the Jason Aldean gig when I was 29. He got signed when I was 34. He started to pop when I was 37 and now I'm going to be 53. So time marches on, but I never stopped. I never stopped, whether it was individually trying to seek self-improvement, bleed excellence, and then bring that to my collective, my guys, where they could, where I could be undeniable, where if I'm not on the drums, they're going to miss me. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? They're going to miss me. So it's, so like I said, I'm not a genius. I just am willing to share my story and hopefully that'll help people. You know, I firmly believe that all missed opportunities are first steps not taken because I can look back at my life and there are things now I'm, I'm i'm 51 and there are things now that i look and say there's all these opportunities that i missed out of but i also think at the time i just wasn't really ready or yeah. passionate enough to follow those specific directions i feel more focused now that in my 50s and more passionate about the the things that I'm currently pursuing than I did back then, because you've also got those challenges of youth that you have to kind of figure out yourself <laughs> a little bit. A little bit later on, you have a better sense of yourself and more confidence in who you are. And, and I think that's one of the things that um, that can be a challenge. I often say to students, play me the thing that you love the most. And they usually have this look of terror on their face. And then they say, well, I don't know. Tell me what I'm supposed to play. And I'll, I'll look at them and say, no, when you come home from school, if you've had a good day or a bad day and you sit behind the drums and there's nobody in the house and you pick up the sticks, there's something that you play all of the time because it makes you happy. That's what I want you to play for me. Pretend I'm not in the room. That's because great. Er- because everyone has something that they sit down, and they always play because that's the thing that makes them feel good. And I think that's important because that also determines who you are as a musician. Yeah. And it's often the same sorts of things. And it's usually like a simple beat or boom, boom, da, 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 da. 
and and that's great but that's usually the point of the lesson that has the most joy to them because it's like that's what they love the flip side of that is that it's also hard to break away from the the crutches that they will always fall back into those habits so i had a student i said to him once play your favorite beat because i always want them to start out and you play that and i said but here's the challenge play the same thing but you can't use any symbols and so he had this look of terror on his face and he's like, well, no, I, well, no, I can't, I can't do that. Like, what do you mean? I'm like, no, I'm not telling you to change what you're playing. I'm just telling you, you can't use any symbols. So take your hands that are hitting the symbols and move them to other sounds. What I want you to do is that I want you to break outside of your comfort zone and look at the other things that are now available to you. And, and when you can start breaking out of your comfort zone and explore, not only does it build your confidence, but it also helps you discover who you are because I did so much studying and I dedicated myself to my craft for so long, particularly over the last, you know, eight or nine years, I made incredible progress in my skill set. What I was challenged with was I lost my identity at the same time ah. because I got so caught up into the exercises and doing all of the work by these renowned teachers that I also forgot to apply it to who I am as a creative person. Yeah. I was a jazz major in college. And so everyone always talks about, you know, who's your favorite drummers. And it's always whoever the jazz legends and, and I'm inspired by all of them. But at the same time too, I grew up listening to Neil Peart and Stuart Copeland and Kenny Aronoff. Nice. They were the people that I was passionate about. Well, you know, it's, you know, what's so funny is that Kenny Aronoff, Neil Peart and Stuart Copeland, that is an incredible mix of rock drummers because you got a guy that has a, a huge multi-surface setup that is known for orchestrating quasi-classical, highly memorable parts. Neil, God rest his soul. Stuart, army brat, total multicultural drumming, all served up with a young punk's attitude. And then his drumming changed and matured as he became a classical composer. And then you have Kenny, who was overly educated classical musician put it in his back pocket and then tried like hell to sound like a self-taught rock drummer and he pulls it off in spades but he sounds so much better than a self-taught rock drummer because he's got that deep well of styles and technique and training you put those all together oh my god i'd love to see you play dude that's like unstoppable well and one of the things that i found interesting is that looking at those three i found you know, great joy out of the simplicity of the stuff that Kenny Aronoff did, particularly for me. One of my Bibles of rock drumming is John Mellencamp's Scarecrow album. Scarecrow and Lonesome Jubilee are the Desert Island Records, Michael. And and Lonesome Jubilee was was taking that and and adding a creative element and pushing it to another level by still maintaining that that power and that passion and it's it's infectious how incredible the grooves are on that even though they're simplistic they're not easy to play but also the it's like a it's like the bonham thing where the drum sound really helps yes sell. yes you know what i mean if you took Kenny's grooves on that record or Bonham's grooves and you 
<sighs> they ended up getting um, layered with, this is what a mix engineer would do today. They would get lazy and getting the sounds up front and they would layer samples on the stuff on the backside and it would end up sounding a little bit more generic and like further back in the mix. Those drums were so unique sounding and were so upfront in the mix that it helped propel the energy spirit and ultimately reputation of the drummer into the forefront. A big drum sound can really help you. Like, you know, we had that first song, Hicktown. Boom, boom. It starts with four kick drums. That's my kick drum with two microphones on it, one on the inside, one on the outside, 30-foot ceilings, a lot of wood, beautiful, expensive um, ribbon mics, and a sample of an open, almost like marching bass. And people were like, oh, yeah, what's that song? And then for people that care, who's that drummer? Not on the level of Kenny or John or Neil by any means, but the drum sound can help a drummer's reputation big time. And, and what I found listening to Neil is that people first get caught up in terms of the complexity of the things that he played. And I found overall, I'm, I'm a huge fan of later Rush stuff because I got into Rush during grace under pressure and signals um to me those to, to me those Subdivisions. are yeah to to me those are incredible records and it was the, it was the grooves on that stuff more than the fills that spoke to me and what what i got from neil was the breaking up of the ride symbol pattern but you know what that's almost like a neil peart melody yes you know how there's certain melodies in people's playings? Like when you hear Greg Bissonette, he's got like eight or nine melodies when he solos that he can use in a variety of tempos, feels, subdivisions. And like you're like, that's hummable. It's memorable. It feels great. It resolves over like a four bar phrase or an eighth bar phrase. And and Neil had certain things that ride some that bell the ride symbol on that paragon. Man. And what I got from Stuart Copeland was the energy, that aggressive approach to the music that they played, but with an elegance in terms of the subtlety. And his hi-hat work is ridiculously amazing. And for me, you could take most of my drum set away, and as long as I had a kick drum, a snare drum, and a hi-hat, and probably at least one crash cymbal, I would be content. Yeah. You know, and I, and I remember I played in a band for years and I used to have a standard five piece setup and the guitar player who was one of my best friends would always say to me, why do you bring toms? And you don't use them because you hardly ever hit them because all of your fills tended to be hi-hat and snare drum fills because that's just where my tastes and stuff came to play. And then, and now I'm, you know, I've expanded and I'm, I'm using the toms a lot more now too, but, you know, in the earlier days, I would play with a 12 piece kit. Now I'm using a four piece kit and finding more joy and more musicality in those ones, because now it's about being creative with the minimalist aspect of the things that you have. And that's kind of where my head's at these days. That's awesome. I've never been a big kit guy. I'm like, this is just a lot of stuff to move around, man. And yeah, man. Yeah. Four is where it's at, man. It's like it, it starts there. It ends there, you know? Good for you, man. When the current generation comes up to you and asks you for advice in terms of making it in the business, 
or what they should be concentrating on, what advice do you give them? Well, I tell them like, hey, man, you know, do it. You know, it's like the Nike thing, you know, just do it. Here's your, here's your swish kid, you know, um, yeah, but you know, get the skill set together, but then eventually you've got to get to a New York, LA or a Nashville. I mean, you've got to get to one of these places. You got to get to the watering hole, you know, all the animals in Africa on the Serengeti, they're all looking for water. They find that water and there's a zebra and a giraffe and a lion four feet from each other. They're all mortal enemies. They're all on the food chain, but they are thirsty. So they are just like, let's take care of business here. We're Thank God we're all here. You got to go to the watering hole. You got to go to these energy points in the world. Nashville is an incredible energy point. It's affordable. It's small. It's easy to meet people. But at the same time, it's a little town with big town opportunities and right now a hit song is being written and some drummer has got to play on the demo some drummer has got to play it live you know and so there is work here so i would i tell kids like yeah you're thinking about nashville do it man save 10 grand if you can, so when you come here, you can go out and you can mix and you can mingle and you can shake hands. So you don't have to worry about working a day job for a while. Um, and then just, but just make sure you're prepared. You know, if I say, hey, kid, you know, you just graduated from Berkeley. You got a lot going on for you, but I feel like you need a little bit more experience. Hang out in Boston for one more year and play in a circuit band, play in a wedding band, check some boxes, get some more experience, save some money. And then you got to get to one of these places and then don't be in a rush and just be a person of integrity and deep character and be a man of your word and go out and support the community and the community will support you and say yes to absolutely every gig that comes along because you never know who you're going to meet. And, you know, in New York, you know, you're on a wedding gig with a saxophone player from the the Rolling Stones. You're on a wedding gig with the keyboard player from, you know, um, uh, you know Bruno Mars, and it, and it's just like you just say yes to music. Do it for the right reasons. Don't be precious. Don't be arrogant. You know, be likable. Be patient, and you know, check the boxes. I've got a friend, um, Mark Poise. He um, it's spelled P O I E. S Z. And we were on tour together for two years. He was in an opening act for Jason Aldean in 2013, 2014. Could have been 14 and 15, but it was for two years. And he was a Miami kid, University of Miami. He studied with the great Steve Rucker, you know, who played with the Bee Gees and killer, you know, teacher. And um, he just put out a product called The Big Three. And you could find it if you Google Mark Poise, the big three, but it's basically the only course I know online course, it's 99 bucks. And there's, there's these modules you watch and then you take, you answer questionnaires, some by yourself. And sometimes other people have to answer the questionnaires on your behalf. And his big three are be the part, look the part and be a nice guy. Three things. That's the music business right there. People, people hear with their eyes. So you've got to be able to do everything that is expected in the music business. You got to look cool doing it or appropriate for the gig at hand. And then you have to be um, a likable person, right? So there's these questionnaires and like someone else might have to answer on your behalf. 
can how does this person act in times of upset if there's something that that goes wrong on stage how you know does this person react in a way that is conducive to you know all these big does this person have the right gear do they dress the part do they know how to run ableton if they're asked to do something what is their reaction so it's a it's pretty cool it's it's that stuff it's that human stuff you know what i mean sometimes there's guys that you're just like how did this guy get this gig he's just an okay drummer but the guy comes off stage and he's dressed in just this he's just the outfit he's he's in shape he looks great he's funny affable guy he's the life of the party you're like ah that's why because i love being around this person the, the irony of you bringing this up is that i actually listened to the working drummer podcast with mark. Last night with, with mark and so i'm very well aware of this product it was literally i was doing the dishes last night listening to that podcast and, and you know what i would never say hey you know have a 30, you know, 38 year old guy on that was the opening act for like, if I was a jerk, I'd be like, no, I, I want to keep all the opportunity. But this guy is super intelligent. He's super good at what he does. He's super nice. And I'm just like, dude, you have put yourself in another echelon because he's kind of like an executive slash personal coach. And I'm like, you're going to be on every business podcast in the world as someone that plays the drums. You know what I mean? You are a coach that plays the drums and that is a, that's, that's a different thing. He's created something that is different. I had him on my podcast. He's going to be in, you know, two episodes from now, you know? And, uh, so anyways, I like, I love shining light on friends and colleagues and people that I meet that are just beautiful you could just tell that they're beautiful people and that they've worked hard and they have something to offer. It's like, that's why I started a podcast. It's like, of course I want to let the world know that I can think on my feet and I could be like a Ryan Seacrest and I could, I can be a good host. Right. But at the same time, the real reason for using new media is to let people know that there is so many great people out in the world doing this thing and they have all a different take on it, different philosophies, but yet we're all part of this beautiful brotherhood, sisterhood in this crazy business where you want to make a million dollars in the music industry. How do you do that? Well, you start with two, right? <laughs> That's the business we're in. There are no rules. There's no rhyme or reason. There's no one direct path to success. You just have to be crazy enough to want to do it and then just watch people, study people, have mentors, get in the game, and you will figure this thing out, man. You will learn how to swim with the sharks. So looking back to younger you, you had goals and dreams. What was the biggest thing that you achieved in your career that you strived to achieve when you were young? Yeah. Hmm. Well, um, there, you know, there's all sorts of little goals along the way and goals and dreams are such a big part of life. Like when I was in high school, I wanted to make the top band in, in high school. And then, you know, I auditioned for the McDonald's 
you know, all-star marching band. And then you're in all these all region bands and all state bands. And there's competitions. You make these competitions like, okay, I want to go to college. Okay. College. I get a full scholarship from Texas tech university. I study, I get my, my bachelor's degree in percussion and music education. I get my teaching certificate to teach in the state of Texas. And then I go and I get my master's degree. I go to the university of North Texas. Like I want to play in the one o'clock lab and I figure it out. I get my, you know, I, I, I put my reading to the test. I end up getting in that band. And then I'm like, you know what? I want to be in the number one top 40 wedding corporate party band in Dallas, Texas, random access. I start seeing the band. I go see the band four nights a week. When I, I let them know if the drum chair ever opens up, I want to, it opens up. I, I get the gig. Then um, I start reaching out to people. I say, Hey, I want to, I want an international national or regional touring job. What should I do? I reach out to a friend of mine. He says, Trisha Yearwood's looking for a drummer. I get my, Tape to Trisha Yearwood. I auditioned for Trisha Yearwood. It doesn't go. I don't get the gig, but they recommend me to another audition with Dina Carter. And then those people recommend me to audition with Barbara Mandrell. And then I realized, oh my God, it's not going to happen in Dallas, Texas. As much as you want the guy to come in the bar with a with the cigar, you know, and he's like, he's got like the, the wallet. He's got like the chain with the timepiece, you know, and he's got the beautiful... Hey, the Backstreet Boys are going. You're perfect. That never happened. I had to go to where the action was. So what was my watering hole? Nashville. I was like, people like my drumming in Nashville. I give my band two weeks notice. I go to Nashville. And I ended up uh, buying House, which is the American dream from, it's, I think it's a global dream, right? Mm -hmm. um, you buy a house using your skill set. Um if I want to take my friends to sushi, I could do that. That's success. If my car breaks down, I don't sweat, sweat it. I can get it fixed. So the moral of the story is I'm not living in the Hollywood Hills next to Keanu Reeves, but I have a quality of life that I created myself through hard work and vision and persistence and determination and hustle and follow through. And that's pretty incredible. And then I knew that I always wanted to meet my Mellencamp, my Steve Earle, my Sting, my Billy Joel, my Elton John. And that is a kid named Jason Aldean. And I think that's God's way of saying, Hey man, you worked really hard. You sacrificed. There's tears, there's blood, there's sweat, there's starvation. There was maxed out credit cards. There was a lot of sleeping on floors. Here you go. Don't screw it up. If people want to reach out and connect with you, you're pretty accessible in terms of different social media and aspects and things, but what's the best way for people to connect with you and to follow your career and see what your next adventure is? Oh man, it is all about adventures, right? It's like a, you know, it's like the rock, you know, it's like the guy works out every day, he puts the work in you don't know if he's going to be in a comedy, a drama, or some Disney movie with a bunch of green screens. What a fun life. Um, <laughs> we're, we have that same kind of fun life, right? You know, we created this for ourselves, but I have a dot com, richredmond.com. It's R-E-D-M-O-N-D, -E like Redmond, Washington. Um, and that's kind of my hub for all things. So you can kind of like see, you know, my drumming pedigree and you, and you could see all the corporations that I've spoke to you and you know you could learn about my podcast and my books and my gift to the world is uh if you click on the shop icon on my website there is like seven or eight pdf books of transcriptions of every jason aldean song i've ever recorded and every thompson square song i've ever recorded note for note transcription. so if you're interested in working on your reading or if you just want to get your country rock country pop 
genre vocabulary together. That's all free. At one time I was charging $15.99 a pop and I was just like, you know what? I'm just going to give this away. This is my gift to the world. You just have to give me your email address so I can keep in touch with you for the rest of your life. <laughs> um, so, but other than that, you know, I have a YouTube channel with nearly 600 videos, you know, how to's behind the scenes, a day on the uh, life on the road type situations. And, you know, but all the kids are on the gram. So you could send me a DM on the gram. And if you're old school and you want to send me an email, you can send me booking at richredmond.com. And um, we, I do have to say my, I've done 12 of these this year. You know, I've created drum camps. I've had master classes. I do clinics, one-on-one lessons, but this thing has really caught fire. It's called my drum intensive and it's just a seven hour day with me. And I teach at the drum paradise in Nashville and drum paradise is this amazing facility where like Greg Morrow, Chad Cromwell, Steve Gadd, Kenny Aronoff, um, Lonnie Wilson, Eddie bears, like all the most recorded drummers in the world all park their drums next to each other in this facility. And upstairs is this super clean you can eat off the floor teaching facility called the the drum pad and that's where i teach and guys fly in from around the world they bring their wife they stay at a nice hotel they go to send the wife shopping in green hills and then we have a nice seven hour day together and we just work on their thing the thing that they want to improve whether it be their reading their rudiments their stylistic concepts all that kind of stuff or just learn about the music business and we do that and then of of course when we run out of their questions, I have a deep curriculum that involves at least getting to page 38 in the syncopation book, which is a life changing thing. I think that whoever has Ted Reed's estate, they are being massively shortchanged because that book can change your life for $7 and 99 cents, which is the cost of not even two designer coffees. Right. Mm -hmm. And so um, that's just something that if anybody's interested in, that's something that I do with a smile on my face. I love it. Rich, it's been an absolute pleasure to actually connect with you this way. And I wish you all the best of success in the rest of 2023. I know you're just about to head out on the road and do a summer tour with Jason Aldean. And I hope that we get a chance to meet in person someday. I mean, I would love that. I could just tell that you and I would be fast friends. Did you ever study with um, Chris Sutherland? He was a Winnipeg guy. I've met him. He's on my list of people I want to connect with to be on this show, but I haven't had a chance to connect with him well, yet. Do connect with him. Drop my name. We haven't talked in a while, but we were very fast friends and we play very much alike. Like, our, it's like scary. Like, whoa. Yeah. Like, where did you get that, Phil? Oh, you know, that's, you know, that's Gadder. What, you know, we just stole from the same guys. Um, yeah, but he's great. And, uh, well, thanks so much for having me on, man. And I, and anybody to all the listeners, you know, thank you guys so for listening and, and please reach out if you have any questions. Yeah, absolutely. All the best of success to you and we'll keep in touch and hope to connect with you again soon. I love it. Thanks so much, brother. You've been listening to the drummer's pathway podcast. Please share and subscribe, to get the word out and let's keep the discussion going. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.